Hello, interwebs, and happy Valentine's Day. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Seeing as this episode happens to be coming out on, well, you know, February 14th, we're here to talk about the topic of the day. That's love and couples and all that sweet stuff. Uh, because we're a movie podcast, obviously. Yeah, Ryan's sticking his tongue out for audio viewers. You know, you know how this is. He hates love. I, I hate love Valentine's love. Day. Stupid consumer-based goddamn made by Hallmark holiday capitalist bullshit. Sorry. Every, love. <laughs> every day is good for love, but it's just the day we celebrate it metaphorically. I'll be an optimist about it. <laughs> and, you know, consumerism. This water bottle is filled with vodka. <laughs> Anyway, let's zoom into our medium shot now and tell you what we're doing today. We're counting down our lists of our top favorite couples in fiction. Could be anything, could be books, movies, video games, whatever. Uh, but it's pretty much all movies and TV, maybe a little comic books, just going to level with you. Uh, and because I love love, like I said, I've got way too many. Uh, I have my short list was 31. Uh, so I'll just run uh, just minor spoilers. I'll 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 give you an advance here because we're going to be talking about um, having to do with the fact some of these how some of these characters get a newer romance or maybe how some of these romances ended. It's we're just, we're talking about the relationships on a variety of different media here. So I'm just going to give you a rundown of the franchises which I'm going to be talking about if even ever so briefly, just so you are aware. Uh, so some spoilers ahead, potentially lots for the relationship portions, at least, of The Matrix, Wally, -E, Deadpool Films, Downton Abbey, Indiana Jones, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Parks and Recreation, Hannibal, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Better Call Saul, The Good Place, Avengers Endgame, Gone with the Wind, Friends, Doctor Who, La La Land, The X-Files, The Office, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm sure you can guess a lot of my list just from those keen listening or watching viewers. You could probably give a run. Yeah, where you're my, to. the ones that came off, I came off a little bit ago, so I might just have a few that pop up later on, but I have that yeah. are from uh, Yellowstone, Superman franchise, Friends, Star Wars... Spider-Man, Witcher 3, Game of Thrones, and I'm sure other stuff will pop up later on that I'll probably agree with you. Yeah. Uh, so this is not a comprehensive list by any stretch. I haven't seen every romance story ever told, not by a long shot. And this isn't even a list of best romances, because frankly, I would give you a different ranking if it was about... 100% healthy, perfect romances on an objective level, trying to quantify love scientifically. This isn't that. This is just, who do I like? Whether they were an ideal couple or just super fun to watch in all their toxicity. Anything goes here. But uh, because I have so much more than Ryan, I'll just, I'll rattle off a bit and give you a few brief notes on each here. Uh, so at number 31, uh, by the way, I'm, I have my stuff bracketed out into three separate categories. On the bottom of the barrel, 
my category is they're cute. That's it. They're cute. Uh, Mid-level, they're interesting. They're interesting. Top category, they're legend. Wait for it. Dairy. Legendary. So bottom of my list here, Wesley and Buttercup, Princess Bride. I know the movie starts with them being a thing. You know, the, the whole thing is they, he, he left and she ended up with, uh, she ended up moving on. He became the, the dread pirate. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's okay. I mean, they kind of have a cute thing going on, but it's not like they only knew each other a long time ago and kind of getting to know each other again is in, in the movie. It's like, it's okay. It's a cute fairy tale romance. Nothing too substantial for me personally. Uh, Tony and Maria are next up. West Side Story. Once again, I like them. Their ill-fated romance is basically the entire plot of West Side Story. It's, it's the modern update of Romeo and Juliet pretty well. and But the problem with Tony and Maria is that they don't really know each other very well. They kind of only met a couple times. It's love at first sight. And they basically have their entire cultures warring over the fact that, well, they're warring over their cultural differences, but Tony and Maria's love is sort of the linchpin that blows the whole thing up in the neighborhood. And it's a great story. Not my favorite romance though, because it's more of a symbolic thing than actually great chemistry or great story or dialogue between them or anything. Um, next up, Neo and Trinity from The Matrix. This one got better as it went, but in the first couple, it's if I recall, they were kind of just predetermined to be together. There was some kind of destiny element to it, from what I recall, which, hey, that's romantic, sure, but it felt... A little bit forced. Um, I'll be a defender and say I kind of like that the Matrix, the Matrix Resurrection was basically just about Neo coming out of retirement just to save Trinity. That was just a romance movie straight up. Glorified epilogue to the end of the series. It was just about, hey, let's try to give these two the happiest ending possible. Uh, so that kind of solidifies it for me as a, a solid love story for the ages. Next up, Wally and Eve from Wally. Robots can feel love. Who knew? Very adorable story between them. Uh, I haven't seen Wally in a very long time. I don't know much to say on that one, but yeah, Wally and Eve. They're uh, they're cute little robots. Uh, next is Deadpool and Vanessa from the Deadpool movies. Uh, they lose points because Wade was kind of a dick to her in the first one, uh, abandoning her and just because he thought she'd reject him and uh, looking for his the cure to his cancer. And then in the second one, she gets murdered straight away and the whole plot is him trying to bring her back from the dead or threaten to 
join her every time he's about to die. He, he, he meets her at the barrier between this life and the afterlife. And there's a lot of great moments between these two. Their romance is, once again, it's kind of what holds Deadpool together, but it's more thematic because they aren't really in that many scenes. We're basically just told they love each other very much. Morena Bacharin and Ryan Reynolds have great chemistry, but there's not a lot. There's not enough of them together that I can rank them higher here. Um, my next is Branson and Sybil from Downton Abbey. Uh, he, she was the middle child of the of the household. The uh, one of the heiresses. He was the family driver. And an Irish Republican who hated the nobility with all his every fiber of his being. Uh, very unlikely pair. But I really enjoyed their romance together because it felt... It felt... I just liked seeing what they brought out in each other just because they came from such vastly different worlds. And she had to see how this is kind of how the lower classes live and... He kind of got to see that not all nobles are just monolithic pricks. They're all like some of them are just people with more money than he has. So it kind of gave him some sympathy there. Uh, my next up, Indy and Marion from Indiana Jones. Uh, they lose points because they met when she was 15 and he was older. It's a little bit of a sketchy it's a beginning. Different time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, bit of a sketchy beginning there. Uh, he broke her heart. They had a pretty rocky relationship. But you know what? Rocky relationships make for good stories. Between Raiders of the Lost Ark, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and even a little bit in Dial of Destiny. They have a they have a great arc going on, spans decades, takes them forever to tie the knot. But uh, they were always meant for each other, even through the ups and downs. Good story there. And Tara and Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Tara's the girl who Willow discovered uh, discovered her homosexual feelings for. She never knew that side of herself before she met Tara. It was kind of a, I don't want to say it's a coming of age moment, but it's a falling in love with Tara was a self-realization for her. It helped push her character forward into new and kind of scary boundaries for her trying to push herself forward. Um, Tara was also her moral grounding uh, in a way when she started using a lot of magic. Tara was the one who's like, okay, well maybe you can dial it back a little bit. So they kind of helped each other grow in many ways, but also held each other back at uh, opportune times, they were uh, they were a good check and balance against each other. Uh, then from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, we got Aunt Vivian, Uncle Phil. They're uh, I really like their relationship too because they're I, I like their backstory a lot. They came uh, they came up poor and uh, from a from a rough neighborhood and. Through sheer force of will, they worked themselves up to to living in Bel Air and living a good life for themselves. And on the surface, sometimes they could seem a little uptight. Oh, what are you 
you follow in all the prim and proper rules of your new society, but underneath they had to remind Will more than once that, no, okay, we came from a rougher upbringing like you. We're not, like, we weren't born this way. This is just, like, we're, we're trying to fit in here. We, we, ch- we changed to fit our new surroundings, but we also grew up as people. And you're not, your past doesn't necessarily have to dictate who you are your entire life. You can, you can better yourself. The rough neighborhood doesn't have to be in you forever. You can, you can do better if you put your mind to it. And they're, they're a great testament to that. They're good role models as a, as a couple together. Good united front for that family. Um, then Wash and Zoe from Firefly. There is, they're another couple who, yeah, they seem kind of weird on the surface. He's a wisecracker who likes ships and playing with dinosaurs. And she's a hard ass war veteran, but they're another couple who complement each other pretty well. They, uh, he makes her laugh and she makes him a little bit more serious when, when duty calls, they, uh, they have differing personalities on the surface, but uh, they're, they're actually very well suited. Then I got Andy and April from um, from Parks and Recreation. They're just adorable in their immaturity. They, I don't think they were supposed to get together originally in the show, and then they found out that they had really good chemistry um, and put them together, which was a great move. They're just... They're just really funny to watch and they, they're really, um, they're, they're just adorable, really. <laughs> uh, they, they get each other on a level that is sometimes hard to comprehend. Once again, they don't seem like they'd be a good match on paper because Andy's so bubbly and she's super, uh, cynical and depressive sometimes and, you know kind of makes dark humors kind of her thing, but they complement each other very nicely. Uh, my last in the their cute category is Gomez and Morticia Adams, who they're just kind of known for not being able to keep their hands off each other. They're just, they're the PDA couple on this list. They, uh, they're strange. They have a strange family and lots of strange customs, but uh, their their love is a relatable thing to many people. You don't really get the Adams family, but you get why they love each other so much, and it makes them feel more human, even in spite of their eccentricities. Uh, I'll let you get one or two in, because that's the end of my They're Cute category. Yeah. This is a pretty good list. I I haven't watched half of the things that are in your list so far, so that's great. But I know of the couples. Like, everything about what you said, those shows, those are the only things I know is about the couples. Right. Like, about, like, Morticia and um, Gomez. Gomez, yeah. Those two, and then um, Parks and Rec couple as well. Like, those are the the things I know about those shows that... uh, They're great shows, or great franchises, but also... Yeah, the couples stand out a lot. Um, first one on my list is Rip and Beth from Yellowstone. Kind of a newer couple, uh, newer not couple, newer show on list. Um, Kevin Costner 
ran show. He he's helped produce it, but he's not going to be on anymore. Anyway, we'll probably talk about that later on in a later episode. Bump my mic. They are uh, they're not great people. <laughs> they're not. Uh, Rip's kind of this. He's the second hand to Kevin Costner's character on the ranch. Um, it's basically what? How do I describe Yellowstone? It's basically the Godfather, but they're cowboys. It's like a mafia right. film, but they're all cowboys, and it's awesome. Uh, Beth's kind of the second, the right hand man of um, John Dutton, who is Kevin Costner's character, and he'll do whatever John tells him to do. He'll lie steal cheat set fire stuff even kill people and beth is the daughter of john dutton and they've grown up together through different circumstances uh rip was kind of adopted into the family after his uh tragic backstory and him and beth have kind of just known each other through childhood and then growing up and then it's this weird like thing that they have on in the show where it's like they're the two probably if they were real people in real life they're the most toxic people ever but they're so toxic that they can only work be together for each other if that makes any sense like they are only they are perfect for each other because of how both even keel toxic they are like Mm -hmm. beth is this takes no bullshit attitude with anybody calls people on their shits has no problem insulting anybody to their face and it's just she kills it every time and rip is the only person who knows how to bring her down to like an actual human level and their scenes together are so good the chemistry between the two actors are amazing and uh show's been going on for five seasons and they are definitely a highlight of that show yeah cool uh you want to throw another in there or let me get through. I'll throw another I'll throw another one in there um yeah. one I watched recently Superman and Lewis from uh Superman 1978 they are okay. so gosh darn cute Christopher yeah. Reeves and um oh help me out Margot Kidder Margot Kidder they are, have excellent chemistry they're both so darn cute uh just nice little meet cute throughout the whole movie and then it's just instant fireworks back and forth them talking to each other it's just like the perfect representation of kind of like a first date or the honeymoon got, phase between those two. You got me. Who's got you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a just a cute little uh everybody knows about this couple. So yeah. yeah. For sure. Uh we talked about that more in the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. Um it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Their romance is at the is the real heart of it, personally. That's what ties everything together. So my next tier, middle tier, they're interesting. Rose and Jack from Titanic. They are another one who, once again, you, you'd think, okay, well, they come from very different worlds. Maybe they shouldn't be together. He's lucky to even be on this ship. He's in the lower decks. Um should never have really crossed paths with her really and she's the uh she's a a rich girl who is just kind of on the titanic with her uh with her jerk of a fiance and suicidal she tries to jump off the ship and he saves her um so that's a pretty thrilling beginning to a whirlwind romance and uh I I kind of like this romance just because of the way the movie's set up in that 
because we all know the fate of the Titanic, so we basically know the fate of this relationship too, or we fear for it at the very least. We we know what's about to happen to them, but we don't know if they their relationship can survive the disaster or if it'll go down with the ship. So that tension stays in the background the entire time and only makes the fact that this romance is sort of... Um, they kind of have this romance acting like there is no tomorrow, and that makes it even more sad um, in in anticipation for uh, for the big climax. So my next one is... Okay, okay, come at me, fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but Buffy and Spike. There, I said it. I don't like Angel. Mind you, I'm still going to watch the Angel show. I haven't watched Angel. He said Angel. it, not me. Come after him, not me. I don't I don't even know Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I know that. So, I, come yeah, after you him. Know, people who think Buffy and Angel should be together are just... They like obvious things. Yeah, Buffy and Angel have a thing. Great. But I always kind of agreed with Xander on him. He's a he's a creepy dude who's a couple hundred years old stalking a freaking high school girl. At least when Buffy and Spike got together, she was a she was an adult by then. Like yeah, he's still quite a bit older than her and that's still kind of weird, but at least they were more the same age. Angel was clearly an adult man trying to seduce a high school girl. It was weird. <laughs> Buffy and Spike, I also think they're way more interesting. Angel, abandoned her after season two to go and take a spinoff. Spike was basically there till the very end. And yeah, their relationship was way more toxic, way more rocky. This is one of the most toxic relationships I've ever seen on TV. But there was also some genuine care there underneath the surface Buffy and Spike went through hell together and they always found a good reason to keep each other in their lives and yeah it wasn't romantic most of the way through they did some mess up stuff everyone will point to Spike's actions in season six specifically I need only remind people that he is a soulless monster so, yeah, he does some soulless and monstrous things. And I'm not saying he should have been forgiven for what he does, but that's that's part of the point of Buffy and Spike. It's how far can you push each other and still find forgiveness? Can love make you a better person? Even if some, for somebody who seems irredeemable, can Buffy's love redeem Spike? And... Can he push her out of her comfort zone? They're just they they're a relationship that pushes each other sometimes way too far. And that's kind of the reason they're toxic. They push each other too far. They play with each other's emotions. It gets real bad. But yeah, Buffy and Spike, way more toxic than Buffy and Angel, but way more interesting. I'll die on that hill. Uh next up, another come at me. Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham from Hannibal. Yes, I know. It's not technically a romance. They never officially got together on that show. But it was there. 
And anyone who watches that show start to end can't pretend like there wasn't any kind of spark there or that it was all just friendship. I'm pretty sure I even read once that the creators of Hannibal debated whether or not to have them kiss in the final scene of the show. It was literally that close, even in the writer's room. They decided against it. They didn't make it official because they're like, ah, okay, we've done enough of this spiritual bonding that we don't, we don't need a kiss. It's obvious. And I respect that. Uh, but Hannibal and Will, they're not a, a relationship of attraction or or sexuality. They're a relationship that's purely spiritual. They had this mutual obsession with each other that drives them to be... Hannibal especially is trying to push Will to be his most, just to be his most. Uh, and once again, he's pushing him in a very toxic direction, but he's also making Will feel more like himself than he's ever felt and not feeling guilty for being special or having this beautiful empathic mind. And yeah, and for Hannibal, Will makes him... It is just kind of, they just have this great back and forth. He kind of sees him, I don't know, as an intellectual equal necessarily, but he's somebody who is actually smart and not like not an idiot to Hannibal Lecter. It's like, oh, I can actually have a good conversation with you. I don't, you're not someone I feel like is so far beneath me, like everybody else I've ever spoken with. So they're just, they're a pure spiritual relationship. And I gotta, I gotta celebrate that once again, super toxic. Not even technically a relationship. Come at me. There's two in a row. Uh, my next one is Ava Lance and Sarah Sharp from DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, they they were a, a nice uh, a nice slower burn romance throughout the series. Uh, didn't get together right away. Didn't even really get along much at first. Um, and then Ava became the boss of the team through shenanigans. They ended up working for her and then um, she and Sarah fell in love and become co-captains uh, of the Wave Rider. And they're just two badass ladies going through time together and causing all kinds of shenanigans, trying to take care of their crew. And... Uh, they're a great pair because Sarah's super carefree and fly by the seat of your pants kind of captain. She'll get in a lot of trouble and Ava's more like everything's got to be down to the letter, follow the rules, plan out everything. And she kind of sucks it going on the fly. So they complement each other very well that way. Ava's the planner. Sarah's the improviser. They're, they're great co-captains. They're a great couple. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow is amazingly underrated. Uh, then we have Better Call Saul, Jimmy and Kim. They're another one who are pretty toxic, but I love them because they, they push each other too. Um, well, actually they don't push each other so much as, uh, <laughs> Jimmy pushes Kim to be all the worst aspects of herself, but the problem is she enjoys it. So she kind of falls down this rabbit hole and she, meanwhile, holds Jimmy back from being his worst self. 
and and that's that's what they do for each other. Whenever they're not, whenever they're not speaking too much with each other, Jimmy goes, Jimmy goes way worse, and Kim excels. So they kind of meet each other in the middle. They're nearly holding they're holding each other back, but they're so good together is the problem with them. Uh, my next interesting couple is Eleanor and Chidi from The Good Place. They started off as soulmates um, on paper. They were they were introduced to each other as their soulmates forever in, in the afterlife. Um, and they didn't really get along so well at first. How could that possibly be? Um, but then they found they really are right for each other. Chidi taught Eleanor how to be a good person. And, and Eleanor helped Chidi loosen up a little bit. Uh, not be so nervous about life, especially because he was dead already. <laughs> uh, they just, they helped each other live their best afterlives. And if you're going to live an entire, it's one thing to have to live a lifetime with somebody, but they had to spend time together for an entire afterlife and learn how to live together. Uh, so my final interesting couple for me, and you might be surprised to see it this low, uh, if you know how much I adore them, is Cap and Peggy from the Marvel movies. Uh, them getting separated at the end of Avengers Endgame, uh, sorry, at the end of the first Avenger was traumatic for me for most of a decade. That was That's still my favorite Marvel movie. Uh, to this day, and the saddest ending of any Marvel movie, when he wakes up in New York and in 2010, and he realizes he passed his entire life by, and the first thing he thinks of is he missed his date with Peggy, and you wonder, oh, is she is she old? Is she dead? That's that's so tragic. And then later, when he meets her and she has Alzheimer's, um, and then he he's got to watch her deteriorate. Only in Avengers Endgame for him to go back in time and live the life with her an entire lifetime that he always dreamed of. And Avengers Endgame was one of few movies to this day to make me cry. I bawled my eyes out at that ending. It was the resolution I waited for for eight years. He got his dance. Yeah, in real time, I waited for eight years and... The first Avenger is not the most popular Marvel movie. I don't know how many people really cared, but like I said, it was my favorite Marvel movie the entire time. And just to see that that got a resolution, it just, it's, it's one of the best resolutions to a romance I've ever seen. Um, gave me all the yeah. feels. And that's the end of my, their interesting category. What's your next two? Yeah. Um, Next one is uh, Han and Leia from Star Wars. All right. Um, get a little princess. Yeah, a little bad boy, ca space cowboy up there. Uh, chemistry once again between Harrison Ford and uh, Carrie Fisher are immaculate. They are probably, I mean, of course, second to the plot. The most interesting thing in the original trilogy, just whenever they're on screen, just the flirting and the bickering between each other. It's so good. It's not even just like Han Solo throwing shots at Leia, but so so Leia firing right back and arguably yeah. being way better. 
shots at him. Um, yep. Just a classic Hollywood couple. They're um, just hilarious through and through, and they save each other's ass from time to time, multiple times. They're both they're not afraid to get their hands dirty, either one of them, and they're just made perfect for each other. Yeah, they're another one that's uh, a little toxic, but they're just endearing to watch. They're just like, a little. They're like an old married couple before, like years before they should be. Yeah, uh, exactly. Their bickering is some of the best part of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the them, sucking on the finger is a little strange. Yeah. And, uh, in that room. Oh, well, I'm over it. C-3PO jumping in on them. Multiple yeah, what a cock block. That was the funniest. <laughs> uh, next, on the opposite spectrum of toxicity is Spider-Man and Gwen Stacy, specifically from the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I was going to say, Andrew don't Garfield. say Mary Jane if you're talking about the opposite no, of no, toxicity. No, 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 Mary Jane is toxic. Um, <clears throat> well, those two they're chemistry together, it's bad. I mean, of course, like they were dating at the time, obviously, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, but even yeah. then, they're just two of the most lovebirds ever in Tasm 1 and even in Tasm 2. They say those movies. the best part of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay, mind you, Tasm 1... And I will even I say it's like the it. only good part in Amazing yeah. Spider-Man 2. Tasm 1's yeah. okay. Tasm 2 is garbage, besides the Gwen Stacy One stuff. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're... They nailed that scene. Yeah. It was they're the all, one they had all, to get right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the best part of those movies. I mean, and yeah, you can just chalk it up to like real life relationship status and chemistry, but that's just also what makes the film and is a big part of who Spider-Man is. Yeah, he's this guy who goes around and saves a day and doesn't get to work on time or school on time, but he's also a very love-struck puppy type of guy. And I think Andrew Garfield knew that perfectly. And it sucked there wasn't a third one. And, of course, there wouldn't be Gwen Stacy in the third one, but I'm just saying, just to see, like, the grief of what Andrew Garfield went through on screen would have been cool. But, uh... We kind of saw it in No Way Home, a little. Kinda. A little. We got hints. That was a sweet scene, but, yeah. I'll I'll save, uh... Yeah. I'll throw in a quick one, because I really don't know much about this, but Geralt and Yennefer in The Witcher, specifically The Witcher 3... Um, yeah, sure. In the show, they're okay. They have a rough start. <laughs> they have a rough uh, beginning, but just whenever they're whenever they're with each other in the game, um, they're all they just want to jump on top of each other. It's just it's pure love the whole time. And with the origin of the Witcher, it's like, are they actually in love, or is it by magic, or is it free will that they feel? But they just still can't help but be in love with each other, yeah. and. So there is that debate, but the way that they talk about each other, the way they interact with each other, it's just, it's all, it's all love, baby. And I haven't beaten The Witcher 3 because it's a slog and, uh, (laughs) but it's a great game, but yeah, those are, that's a great couple as well. Yeah. So now we're into my legendary category and I, I feel like you've seen enough of these. You can start to comment on them. Maybe not all, but. Uh, my first stop in here is Scarlett O'Hara, Rhett Butler, Gone with the Wind. Uh, the poster child for toxic couples. She kind of just picked him because he was the most convenient. 
the the guy she loved was unavailable and he she married the first guy who was just super in love with her and that was basically their entire relationship he treats her like a princess she just says well of course basically is how she acts uh she's very emotionally distant from him and he gives her everything she's got until at a certain point at her darkest hour the switch flips and she's like why have i been chasing this other guy for so long when i've got a perfectly great guy here who loves me so much and by that point after all these years of emotional abuse he's on his way out the door and we get the best probably the best breakup scene in movie history but without you where will i go what will i do frankly my dear i don't give a damn and walks out the door everybody knows that that's that's the one thing about yeah, gone everyone, with the wind everybody knows, knows is the ending everyone knows that and then if you really know more about gone with the wind it's more of just like confederacy propaganda that's that whole movie basically but other than that well yeah, i, I mean, haven't I really was, seen gone with the wind but the, the whole point of gone with is. the wind was like <laughs> this was this was the confederacy in its dying days of the civil war told from the perspective of the confederacy so yeah it's not it's not confederacy bad it's this is what confederates think of themselves as their cultures dying around them it's you know don't believe in the ideals it's preaching to you but it's just kind of interesting to see it from their perspective because you don't really see it it's just interesting is all uh and it's a great movie um good story well told i haven't seen it i uh, know you have seen this many times monica and chandler friends uh Maybe there are a another few. a couple dozen uh i don't know if it's that many <laughs> maybe i know it's been a lot might as well be yeah uh there's another unlikely couple uh they got together during uh it was ross's wedding right in uh in london yeah in london sorry Yep. Uh, yeah. So they they started off as a one night stand. Like, oh no, no, that's 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 never gonna happen again. Yeah. Who crazy thing? Uh, and then they couldn't stop. They they kept seeing each other secretly until the group finds out, and then they continue on happily. And they're just they're they're another couple who I really like because of their contrasts once again he's he's pretty loose and easygoing she's the most uptight person on the show and they their relationship is about meeting in the middle they complement each other well even though they're very different kinds of personalities uh, yeah he's not he's not very ambitious she kind of pushes him he's also a a good listener and she likes to vent uh and they're both really funny and they're great together and love monica and chandler they are the best couple on that show way better than ross and rachel they needed that's why i didn't show friends ross and rachel on this needed list. yeah they needed a positive couple figure in that show ross and rachel balance are out the they're not great um i know they're the thing that's the one everybody yeah. knows 
but they're not that if good. If you're a true Friends fan, you will. everyone will say Chandler and Monica are the best thing that has happened in that show. And they are. The chemistry is... I always bring up chemistry, but it is super important. Um, because yeah. when it's not there, it's really awkward. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 on my list as well. That was on my list. Chandler and Monica, they're the best thing ever. I did a couple's costume one year with a friend in college as Chandler and Monica when the... They first, like in their famous episode, when they first proposed their love for each other. So um, the turkey one? It was really funny. Sorry? Was that the uh, the turkey one? No, the it was thing, the, the one where, one. Uh, that was the where like everybody, le- the where everybody finds out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I remember I love that one too. And he's feeding yeah, yeah. flirting with him. and That one, yeah. He can't, and it was really, yeah. the reason we did that is because the real life friend is named Monica. So we're like, what if I did Chandler? Uh, he's yeah. like, ah, that's funny. Um. But yeah, but the just one, they, one of my favorite couples yeah, of all sure. time. They have their scenes are some of the most are the funniest ever. Um, they know how to bring each other down to earth a lot. Mostly Chandler knows how to bring Monica down to a less insane level. But also he kind of likes he likes how crazy she is sometimes, and it's just it it's kind of fun for him. Not in like a toxic way, but just kind of like a oh, I get to. I get to help my girlfriend today because Chandler was famously for the first five seasons, just like either in the worst relationships ever or just scared of women. Oh but, my God. Mm-hmm, yeah. But now he's, he became probably the best boyfriend slash, you know, husband on that show. And they became the best couple in sitcom history, in my opinion. There I said it. Well, I got I got others above them from sitcoms, but I think they have the best "I love you" scene because I got it mistaken yeah. when you when you were talking about the one with um with Phoebe and Chandler. The one I was thinking of was when she's she's wearing the turkey on her head at Thanksgiving and and like dancing with the fez on. And I think that's the yeah, first time. That's the first time he said it, but it was by accident. Yeah, that's even better. And then she just kind of stops with the turkey and turns around. Yeah. That was amazing. My next one here is The Doctor in River Song from Doctor Who. This one is one of the most unique relationships I've ever seen in fiction. Because basically what how it goes is their relationship started in about season four with David Tennant. The first time he meets her, uh, he meets her basically very like later on in her life after she's known him for decades and he's like, I've never met you before in my life. How do you know everything about me? You know how to control my time machine. This is freaky for me. I've never had this before. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to tell you everything, but like, okay, now you've met me. This is interesting. So then I don't think they meet again until he regenerates into Matt Smith. And then at this point, their relationship basically plays backwards. The first time they meet, he he's never met her and she's already had all her adventures with him. And then as they meet, they go in reverse where they're kind of they've known each other. Um, He's learning more about her and she's going further back in the timeline. So base and then they kind of end up meeting in the middle like they this relationship spans three different actors to play the doctor. So and counting, it might still be going on, but uh, up to the a couple years ago, 
it had spanned three doctors and the better part of a decade through timey-wimey nonsense. Um, it could get confusing at times, but it was just this really cool concept of they've, they're never at the same time for each other. Some stuff for him that she doesn't know about, like he knows about stuff she doesn't know about. Sometimes she knows stuff he doesn't know about their relationship, but they, they have this connection that transcends a shared history in a way. It's like, okay, we'll all like, we'll figure it all out eventually. But yeah, they're just, it's a very interesting sci-fi concept for a romance and it's played exceptionally. And next up from there is Rocky and Adrian. Yeah, right. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Rocky and Adrian for me, they're the they're the bedrock of the Rocky franchise. You know, it's not when he when he finally wins in the ring for the first time. It's not. It's not. Whoa! I won. It's yo, Adrian. I did it. He's the. She's the first one he calls out to. Yeah, you know, it's not like yeah, it's an accomplishment for him, but it's more important to him that she's there celebrating with him. Uh most of the series is about him trying to get a better life for their family and he cares really strongly about her opinion. Uh, I think it's the second one he spends most of the time at her bedside when she's sick. Um she's incredibly supportive of him. Uh, even when he's doing dumb things like going out to Russia to fight Ivan Drago, um, she still, she argues against him, but so that they kind of make each, once again, it's another relationship where they make each other better people. She, she's very intelligent and she helps him become a more rational and well-reasoned person. She kind of uh she elevates him in many ways and he brings her out of her out of her shell uh she's the shyest person in the world when they first met but uh but by the end of the series she's fully come into her own with outspoken opinions and they they did a lot for each other over the years and it was uh it was a good connection the two had uh, Talia Shire and Sylvester Stallone, good chemistry between them. And even going on to Rocky Six and the Creed movies where Talia Shire is not in them anymore, you can feel her not being there just like Rocky does. It's uh, it's a hole that's felt in the rest of the franchise after she's not in them anymore. And uh, that's in no small part due to the um, the just whatever she brought <laughs> to all the originals. Um, then I've got Mia and Sebastian from La La Land. Yeah, it's pretty good. One of the That's most. One. Yeah. See, this is one of those ones I was, I was thinking about earlier. I'm like, how do I subjectively say that Mia and Sebastian emotionally wrecked me more in two hours than somebody like Monica and Chandler did in 10 years? Like, that's why it's subjective. It's hard to quantify why I think this is better, but they packed a lot into that couple hours of this relationship. And this one maybe resonates with me a lot 
because I'm a creative person. I consider myself an artist just like they do. And I worry myself someday that art and passion might come at a crossroads with romance. What do you value more out of life? What are you trying to get? Is it is it love or the career? Can you have both? Maybe, maybe not. Hard to say. Or you have to be with somebody who's maybe not quite as ambitious in the same field. Maybe you have to be, maybe being too similar is not a good thing. Because it's like all the all these other ones that I've been saying, a lot of the common denominators is they're very different kinds of people who complement each other well. Mia and Sebastian are very similar kinds of people in in the way they think about the world and how they're trying to achieve their dreams within the world. And that's what causes them problems is they're, they're, they're similar in all the wrong ways. It makes them electric together, but it also causes problems. Uh, so next up for me is Batman and Catwoman. I think they're, they're a great story. I almost been, put them on, but then I left it off. Yeah. This story has been playing out since basically 1939. I'm pretty sure even in their very first comic book appearance, she was just this jewel thief that Batman and Robin had to stop. And if I recall at the end of that issue, he let her go or she tricked him and he still let her go. And that was one of the first times Batman ever lost. And Robin's like, what, what the hell are we going after? And he seemed hesitant to go after her. And that was very interesting at the time because like, oh, so Batman is super tough on all these criminals, but this one woman kind of is Irene Adler, who is Sherlock Holmes. That's probably what they were going for is the closest story I can think of compared to that. But um, he kind of lets her get away and that sets the tone for the rest of their relationship the last 80 years where, yeah, she's a criminal and Batman's hard on criminals. But he's got a soft spot for her because she's not really a bad person. She's just a clever jewel thief who doesn't always outsmart him, but she can tap into the emotions Batman rarely feels. She's got a way to uh, manipulate those in a way he doesn't usually uh, allow to most people. And also... They're two orphans who dress up like animals and prowl in the middle of the night. They were meant for each other, let's face it. And next up is Mulder and Scully, The X-Files. This one's one of my favorites because of how understated it is. By the time they first kiss, it's so casual. It's like they'd been dating for a long time already. There's no point in the x-files where they're like oh we're we're a couple now there's a big moment where we declare our love for each other and we're a couple it just sort of happens they're partners for so many years and then at a certain point it just kind of clicks you're like oh wait they like they're dating now aren't they the show never acknowledged it but they're totally dating now and i always thought that was super interesting they just they never played it up it just was a thing naturally and it, it had probably been happening for so long i i just remember i clued in around season six or seven where i was like wait a minute this is a thing now isn't it how did i is this been going on for longer than i think it was a very clever way to do it 
very unique in terms of uh, media landscape for romances, for sure. But once again, I just love the way they they complement and contrast. They He's the tinfoil hat conspiracy nut who works in the basement because nobody wants to work with him. They all think he's nuts. And she's the most skeptical person on the planet who was sent to... That was basically the whole point. She was sent to balance out his craziness. Be like, okay, you can work with this guy. He'll have his theories, but you tell us what's actually happening. But then as time goes on, she starts to be less skeptical. She's like, well, okay, I've seen some crazy things. And Mulder has sort of opened her up to his world and lets her see more of what's really out there. And in Scully, he's got somebody who is skeptical, yeah, but doesn't talk to him like he's crazy, who seems to respect him on a on a personal level and who doesn't always agree with him, who often disagrees with him very adamantly, but who will kind of go along anyway for the greater good of the investigation and keep an open mind is an important thing for him. And next up on my list is another one from Parks and Recreation. Uh, ben Wyatt, Leslie Nope. Uh, this is another one of those perfectly suited couples. Uh, and I think they're kind of an exception on the list now that I'm looking through it in that they're very... They are a lot alike in, in many ways. They, they're both very driven people. They're both very into politics and doing right by their communities. And the only difference is really in uh, the way they come across. Leslie is super optimistic and upbeat and optimistic, um, whereas Ben is a bit more cynical and more okay, we'll we'll do it by the numbers, and well, I don't really know if that's going to work. But, uh, so he kind of levels her out, and she makes him feel like the best is possible. And they're just incredibly supportive of each other through all their ambitions. They, they somehow find that work-life balance of we're putting our all into our work, but we love our work. But because we both love our work so much, we understand each other and can make sacrifices for each other to keep our careers moving forward. Um, they're just very, um, they're very good at compromise to make things work. They both, uh, they're both exceptional at that. Uh, so then my next one is Marshall and Lily. Uh, how I met your mother. Uh, yeah, you're you're shaking your head, but they were basically solid the entire way through She's that show. She's pretty toxic. Not as to, to the friend group, yeah, but not so much to him. They were always, you know, besides Continue. that little spat they had in season, in season two. Um, basically, my rule of thumb here is just be paired with Allison Hannigan. She's on my list for Marshall and Lily. She's on my list for Buffy. She's she's good at the romance thing, I figure. Uh, Marshall and Lily, they're uh, they're a pretty 
cute story. They met in college, hit it off right away, basically been together ever since. Uh, they're pretty much each other's first serious loves, and it's kind of a love at first sight sort of deal that actually worked out. Um, they, once again, they're another relationship that's pretty good at compromise. They're, uh, they both have mutual goals that they work towards. They're kind of in sync. They like, they nearly read each other mentally. They just, they've been together so long and know each other so well. They can anticipate each other's needs. They're just, they're fully comfortable each around each other, sometimes to awkward degrees for the friend group. Um, they're just, yeah, like you said, Lily can be a bit toxic. I don't think she's, I don't remember how she's toxic towards Marshall, but I don't know. Enlighten me if you remember. She tries to like control him a lot in ways like whenever they're out in public because, I mean, Marshall is just this like silly character. And again, we're talking about sitcom, so they got to bring the comedy out somewhere. But she's yeah. like embarrassed of him a lot of the times whenever he's like too silly in public and then kind of reprimands him and then him, herself in a way. And then by the end, she's like, oh, I'm sorry about it. It's not really your fault. But that happens in multiple episodes. And then she just sticks her nose in a lot of her friend's business a lot of the time and kind of gives advice that she's just been giving for over the years and then just rants to Marshall, who isn't paying attention. But it, it's it's just, it's like, it's stuff like that where sometimes they don't feel like they're on the same page a lot. And there's only one time where I would say Marshall's in the wrong, well, he's probably been in the wrong multiple times, but there's only one time where I th feel like I was on Lily's side and that's when Marshall brought up what happened in season two in their season nine fight. I was oh, like, this is okay. seven years ago, Marshall, like, let it go. Uh, there was like their fight about going to Italy or not. Um, yeah, there's just like a few things that kind of, I don't think Lily gets more hate than people should give her, but I don't like, I, I don't see them as like the perfect couple, especially not over Chandler and Monica, you son of a bitch. When you said <laughs> how I met your mother, I was afraid you were going to say, Barney and Rob, I think Barney and Robin are technically a better couple. I and I, I thought you were going to bring in Ted and somebody else, but other than no, that, no, yeah, no. I might say Ted and the mother. They were great for you know, yeah, for five seconds they had. Um, you know, I, I, well, maybe my memory's playing tricks on me. You're making me doubt a little bit now, but I'll, I'm, it's here. I'm going to roll with it and keep Marshall Lily this high. Um, I think it's they were the more worst good in the world. I think they're more good than they weren't. And uh, even if there's a little toxicity in there, as I've made clear, that just makes things a little interesting. They're not perfect. And to That's be fine. fair, in like season two, when she leaves to go on her own thing, like she goes back to art college to pursue her dream. I don't think she was in the wrong for that either. Like she has this personal dream. And then and they've never Marshall's been like, well, if you leave, if you leave, then we're over. And it's like, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah. Like she's they followed also, you here to New York to pursue your dream to be a lawyer. Let her go off for a summer to do art school. Yeah. And yeah, he, and she kind of like goes around him and like applies to college and doesn't tell him about it. But I did that. So <laughs> I kind of feel for Lily at the, at the same time. I also figure that was a great point in their relationship in the long term, just because they had been together a while at that point and they, they'd never really been apart. That was 
that was the chance for them to say, oh, well, life kind of sucks without you. I'd prefer to be with you. And now I know that for a fact because I lived life without you and then I was with you for a while and now, like, now I know what I'm missing. And they never really were on the rocks again after that. That was the lowest point. And, like, it's very rare to have a couple that stable throughout the run of a show. They had one hiccup very early on and then they were good for the next seven seasons, basically. Not completely problem-free and once again there's a little toxicity sure but that's that's real they're people they're flawed but the the important thing is that they made it work and it wasn't it wasn't so toxic that you're like okay like these people's definitely like they're making it work but they shouldn't be they really shouldn't be it's like okay yeah they got some problems and we work through them that's why i think they're legendary uh, even more legendary, however, is Jim and Pam from The Office. It's an obvious choice. It's one. Yeah, I've I've watched parts of The Office. I've only watched up to season five because that's when after Jim and Pam got together and then the show got boring for me. So I watched well, it for them and then I stopped. <laughs> yeah, that's part of my problem with Jim and Pam. I mean, I should talk with positives first, but that's. Part of my problem is that they don't have a lot of issues. Sometimes, like sometimes they can be boring as a couple because they're so perfect once they get together. But that's why Jim and Pam are still, you got to love that lead up though. Those first couple seasons before they got together, that romantic tension, which I feel like is very relatable to a lot of people who are in a mundane office and have a crush on a coworker. They're the most ideal example of that scenario. You have a crush on your coworker and they're actually perfect enough to be your soulmate if you can just make it happen. And and then they did. And then the show kept going for many more years. And then they had that thing I know a lot of Office fans hate with the, the boom mic guy in season nine. Um where there was nearly an affair situation. Um, Pam was having some... Jim Jim was trying to start his own business somewhere. And and he he was kind of being uncommunicative with Pam. Um, She wasn't wasn't really feeling the fact that he was gone from home for so long and leaving her saddled with the baby and whatnot. And she was doing badly at work too. And then, like, one of the boom mic guys from the camera crew starts giving her sympathy. And they start nearly angling like it might end up in an affair, which it doesn't. Yeah, I think because um, John Krasinski refused to do... I think that's that's leaning towards something else. But also I heard uh, behind the scenes that John Krasinski refused to shoot a scene where he cheats on Pam. Because it was just, like, doesn't make sense. That's happened a lot. Like, also... um, Matthew Perry did the same thing for Chandler and Monica, just like refused to cheat on their spouse. It's almost like certain writers can't think of anything creative sometimes. Like, what if they cheat on each other and we just moved on from that? Um, yeah. That's a neat, that's a surefire way to break a relationship up real quick on TV or in real life. But sure, let's let's have them do this uncharacteristically. Great. 
Uh, but Jim and Pam, yeah, once again, it's mostly for the build-up with them. They're, they're the, pro- the biggest problem with Jim and Pam is that they're the perfect couple who got there happily ever after, and then we had to see it. it that's when you... That's where you realize happily ever after is not that interesting. It's it's more about them getting together or not getting together that you care about. It's the journey to the relationship, the actual relationshiping, especially when it's so good like it is between them. Not super interesting, but still legendary in my books. Um, they're perfect together. Their characters didn't diminish. Um, their relationship still stayed as, as good as ever. They're each other's confidants and the ones who kind of get each other the most at that office. They're the two most normal people in the Scranton building. And that's why they could relate to each other. Uh, everybody else Creed's is such, pretty chill. Reed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but he's strange at, at the least, uh, they're Jim and Pam are the most normal people at that branch. And that's why they can be like, yeah, you're everyone else here is crazy. Right. It's not like you, you see it too, right? Oh yeah. 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 hundred percent. Um, they're just on the same wavelength. They have, they have the same sense of humor, which I love too. They're, they're good at, uh, playing pranks together or, uh, they also have the similar amount of empathy, like with Michael, whenever, like they both feel bad for him in ways nobody else does. They try to help their friends in ways nobody else does. They both, they have a very similar moral center and sense of humor. And they're just, they're a, a perfect united front. So I, I can see easily why they got together, or why they stayed together. Love Jim and Pam. Uh, another sitcom couple, which... Personally, I'm going to say Michael Schur is the king of sitcom couples. He's one of my favorite sitcom writers. There's another one that he wrote, Jake and Amy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They were another slow burn romance. They started the show as each other's chief competitors. Oh, I got uh, more arrests than you in the last year or whatever the timeline was. They they would compete for arrests or who who did their job better. She thought he was a, a immature slob and he thought she was way too uptight and kind of cringy. And they were both kind of right, was the thing. But through the years of working together, they developed a mutual respect. It's not, okay, like, yeah, there's some things about you that bug me, but you're actually really good at your job. And I respect that. And we both love our jobs. And I like the way you do them. I like working with you. We're we're good friends. And then that's another one where the relationship just sort of naturally happened over time. They made a bit more of a big deal about it. But I think those are some of my favorite relationships on this list. They weren't forced. It's just, yeah, it just kind of naturally happened over time. And we get to see it play out. And Unlike Jim and Pam, I don't think they ever really got that boring as a couple because their job was always so demanding. They had more fear because they're both police officers. It's like, well, either one of us could get killed any day, really. We do a dangerous, high-stakes job and need to turn to each other for support. 
and try to make a regular work-life balance happen when our schedules are so demanding. They uh, they had a lot on their plate, and even being polar op, like I'm not even just saying like other other personalities on this list were similar enough in many ways, but Jake and Amy are basically polar opposites. But they they made each other better, uh, and that's another common theme on my list is uh, opposites attracting and making each other better than they started. They bring out the best in in one another. Amy makes Jake into a responsible adult, and Jake teaches Amy to cut loose and have fun once in a while, and also kind of how to be cooler sometimes. But he also loves that she's a dork. And uh, you have one more, right? Yeah, I got one more. Yeah, I heard uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine is like another show I have to watch. Can't hear me. What? No, I just said. Uh, oh, yeah, you got. I just have one more too. Um, oh, do you want to do yours yeah. or should I do mine first? No, I can do mine. Um, okay. Yeah, my last one probably before it, I would have put Chandler Monica's last because that's my favorite, but. Uh, Jon Snow and Yigrid come to mind from Game of Thrones, uh, first couple seasons of that show. Um, they have sort of a meat cute that has Jon Snow pulling a sword on her. Uh, mm. Just a boy and a girl from op- opposite sides of the world. You know, Jon Snow kind of infiltrates the wildlings and falls in love with a wildling girl. It's lovers who shouldn't be together. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet situation, but they fall in love anyway. Um, they're two amazing uh, actors and just some of the best in the business. Uh, they met on that show. They're married in real life. They have a kid together. So that's nice. What's your, uh, what's your last? That's a nice real life romance story there. Yeah. He pranked her one uh, time by, uh, giving on like April fool's day, putting a fake decapitated head of himself in the fridge. And it freaked her out so much that she banned pranks from the house. It's a very <laughs> famous, uh, interview that he gave. Wow. I thought it was funny. That's dark. Funny. It's funny. Uh, so my my number one, you already said it, but I'm kind of expanding on it a little bit, is Superman and Lois. Not just from Superman 78, though. Just Superman and Lois for their entire histories. I think Superman and Lois are one of the best relationships. Or, Well, personally, they're my favorite romance of all time because... I think basically everybody knows the story. Even if you aren't a fan of comic books, everybody knows the story. Lois Lane is this hot-headed reporter from Metropolis who's really good at her job, but gets herself into a lot of dangerous situations. She thinks Clark Kent's a bit of a bumbling idiot, uh, a small-town farm boy who's kind of a coward. But this great hero, Superman is always is inspiring and a beacon of hope and he's always there to save her and she falls in love with superman and then later falls in love with clark and then they reconcile that and oh he's the same guy and they have a whole story after that as well um she has to mourn him after he dies they get married they have a they have a kid who's also a, a hero jonathan kent um they're the two two of the moral pillars of the DC universe. She keeps the world accountable through journalism and he saves the world every day. Uh, I think Lois Lane 
is arguably, I'm going to say she's the third most important non-superpowered character in DC behind Jim Gordon and Alfred. Can you think of any other relationship, perhaps in 20th century, like outside of theater that originated in plays, that's had as many adaptations as Superman and Lois? They had their original comic book run. They had, um, I think they were even in the original serials with uh, with Kirk Allen. They were in the, the George Reeves Adventures of Superman TV show. Uh, Lois Lane had her own comic book, Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, in the 1960s. Uh, she's been a part of every major adaptation. Uh, Margot Kidder and, and Christopher Reeve you talked about in Superman 78. They've had multiple shows dedicated to just their romance. Clark and, Lo- uh, Clark and Lois in the 90s was basically just about them. Superman was a backseat to the romance between Lois and Clark. Superman and Lois on TV right now um, about them raising their family together. Smallville had six seasons of his relationship building with Lois by the time she came on. Every at, uh, Henry Cavill and Amy Adams. Uh, every adaptation of Superman, the core of it is his relationship with Lois Lane. It's been done how many dozens of examples I've just mentioned and how many more, even in the cartoons. Uh, I think there's that new show on right now, My Adventures with Superman. I think the my in the My Adventures is Lois. It's Their romance is the bedrock for Superman media for the last 80 years, whether it's her being the, uh, being the reporter who gets herself into trouble and he's got to save her, or, uh, or them being the perfect family unit together. And saving the DC universe each in their own way. One through the fifth estate and the other through the fist estate. Um, they they complement each other incredibly well because their moral centers are, are so aligned. Um, but I also like that he's the strongest man in the world. And even she can humble him. Still calls him Smallville. That's That's her nickname for him. Uh, she's just, she's very independent and strong-willed and yeah, she gets herself into a lot of danger even back before she expected to be saved, but that's because she was a brave person who thought she could make the world a better place and she could put herself in danger to do it. Uh, she wouldn't hesitate. And that's the kind of thing even an alien with invulnerable skin can admire, yeah, this woman's kind of a badass and she admires him because he's a man with all this power with the humility to still be a perfectly good guy, way better than most men, really. So they have this this strong mutual respect that's carried on for decades. They're not they're not a toxic couple at all. Uh they've been through so much together. And and like I said, just the sheer gluttony of adaptations for this romance most of them good so that's my number one superman and lois legendary couple favorite favorite romance and fiction yeah pretty good choice all right so that comes to the end of our favorite couples and fiction list um 
As you can see, I, I like a lot of couples. I, I like romance and things. It's all right. A lot of, a lot of couples resonate with me. And there's so many I've yet to see. There's, you know, in making this list, I looked up a lot of things. I'm like, oh, yeah, that that might be on the list if I'd seen that. Oops. Because I think that's my thing. I don't really watch romance movies too much. I don't, I don't watch movies where, like, the intent is romance. If you notice, most of the ones on this list are just the intention wasn't romance, but they sort of became the draw anyway yeah. because of how good they were. In course I've seen a few. Thing. I've seen quite a bit of rom coms, but they're almost always toxic. So that's why I never brought them up, like on here. Yeah, always never toxic like <laughs> or cliche or forgettable. Yeah. yeah, a lot of these other ones, I'm like, you know what? I I've seen this develop over a very long period of time, or you hooked me in very fast and just kept me kept me wanting to see how this unfolds. Um. I think our list say something about our taste in relationships. I think based on my list, I see myself as the kind of person who needs somebody probably not too much like myself, but who can, I can, me and them can mutually push each other forward. That's based on my favorite romances. I'm, I'm learning this about myself. That's what I value um, in a relationship. Just the ability to, grow together and compromise um, in all the right ways uh, just to keep things going and get better with time. Yeah. Based on my list, it's either puppy dog love that gets my humor or just as toxic as me. So I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I need to go see a therapist. Maybe. I don't know. Just as toxic as you can be fun for a while. Not going to, but Hey, <laughs> but do do see therapists if you if you need a therapist if you need um, to yeah yeah anyway that's our brief PSA so call to action is what the thing says um, where can we find you well you can find me at Ryan Walker official on YouTube TikTok and on Instagram you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where we do what again? Oh yeah, you explained Sons of Anarchy to me. Let's see how that goes. Be there. Or be square. That's a square saying. I'm square. Till next time, and happy Valentine's Day. Take care. <laughs>